this is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. We all stand for the reading of the word, prepare for the sermon. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Oh, Father, Lord, thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Lord, thank you that it is rock solid, and that whatever waves or unsurety that we're going through in our lives that we can cling to you, that you are our foundation. And as we begin Advent, as we begin thinking about your son Jesus coming to be with us, Lord, fix that hope in our hearts so that our hope is, is set on you and you only. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Wallace, thank you so much for blessing us this morning with that testimony. Um, before we get into the sermon, I have a quick, just a little bit of housekeeping. And that is, you obviously know we're here on, the, on a college campus and our life kind of ebbs and flows with campus life. And so starting December the 19th, so not next week, not the week after that, but December the 19th, Going both December, going December the 19th, the 26th, and then January 2nd and January 9th, we're going to move to one service at this time, 9 o'clock. So for you all, that literally changes nothing if you just come back for the next four, five, six weeks, however many weeks at 9 o'clock. But the second service, we'll, we'll have to invite them into that as well. Just wanted to put that on your radar, 9 a.m., one service, the 19th, the 26th of December, the 2nd and the 9th of January. Um, Goodness, I don't want to spend too much time in an announcement moment. Um, just thank you for that testimony, Eli and Lisa and your family. Um, I feel like I should just sit down and let you guys have the mic uh, as we talk about the, our Advent Sunday of hope today. Um, as we get into John chapter 1, this is a revisiting for us, the Gospel of John. One of the first sermon series we walked through was the entire Gospel of John, and obviously we're not going to do that in our Advent season, but we're excited to focus on these four themes. And so today we'll be just looking at the person of Jesus, the He in our story, um, of He has come to save us, and then they will build on that week to week. This Sunday of hope in a person, Jesus, I want to invite us into uh, one of my favorite pieces of literature. I actually heard this used as an illustration from a friend preaching this passage, one of my favorite uh, piece of literature maybe ever created that's not the Bible is the Chronicles of Narnia. And um, as I approach this Christmas season, I'm reminded of something from the book Prince Caspian, where Lucy sees Aslan again for the first time. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, Aslan is a lion uh, in, in Narnia, and Lucy is one of three or four siblings um, that, that get to experience uh, kind of a different life and, and certainly a an incredible experience in Narnia. And so Lucy returns to Narnia and she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he said, that is because you are older, little one. And she said, not because you're, not because you are bigger, 
And he says, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And our hope for our Advent season this year, whether you are a one-year-old or you've been around for many more decades than that, is that every year you find Jesus to be bigger. He's not changing in size, but our perspective of who he is with the coming years that we live might change in our understanding of how big he actually is. We want Jesus to be bigger, and every year we get to experience Christmas, we want to experience it and find him a more central figure than we did the year before. In fact, I want to show you a, a couple slides here. The first one is going to be a, um, an Impressionist artist. Now, some of you guys may be able to tell what this is. Um, this is a harbor, if you can't tell it easily. Um, it's like ships and boats and sailboats, and there's maybe what looks like a castle kind of off in the distance, but this is a form of Impressionist art. Now, if you know anything about Impressionist art, um, Impressionist art is about literally creating the impression of a scene. And uh, it's, a, it's a very um, famous genre of art itself. And as you can tell, it's more subtle and nuanced. It's, it's, the colors are more, maybe evoke more emotion. There's, there's more of like a, a sense of feeling in the scenario. But it is a contrast with our next slide, which is portrait art. And portrait art has much more extensive detail. Now, many times in portrait art, we think of self-portraits or portraits of people. In fact, we have an application on our phones called portrait mode, um, for those of you that, that use your camera. But you can see intricate detail. You can see, I, I might have a little closer seat than some of you guys do, um, or maybe you need to visit your eye doctor, one of the two, you know. Um, but I can see uh, details in the, in the boats and in the ships um, that maybe you can't see sitting a little bit farther back. And, and the reason that I want to show this contrast between Impressionist and Portrait, and I've used this analogy before, is that when we enter this Advent season, we don't want to give you the impression of Jesus. We want to give you a detailed, focused look at who Jesus is. And in fact, the things that differentiate an Impressionist artist is an Impressionist artist looks somewhat at the subject and a lot at the canvas whereas a portrait artist looks a lot at the subject and somewhat at the canvas. And we want to be people that look a lot at our subject, who is Christ, the he in our story. In fact, our Christmas seasons can often give us passing impressions of Jesus, can't they? We'll drive by a nativity scene here. We'll watch a Hallmark movie with the religious undertone there, right? Um, we'll, we'll hear a song, like, a, you know, some of the the songs that are in our, in our carol um, you know, routine actually are hymns, and it's funny because you'll see these religious anthems being sung or being played in places that are anything and everything but places of faith. And so you see some impressions of Jesus in the Christmas season, but we want to bring into full focus everything that Christ is and invite you into that today, that all of our Advent season hinges on him. In fact, we use this verse in John 20, this won't be on the screen, but in John 20, 31, we used it often when we were preaching through the Gospel of John. And it's this, John wrote in his own portrait work of who Jesus was through his Gospel, that we write these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing and knowing him, you might find life in his name. You might find life in his name. In fact, when it comes to the message that God would send the world, it is directly impacted in the way that he sent it. 
It's directly impacted by the way that he sent it. For example, now I get to hang out with, with Evan basically weekly. Um, we get to spend some time in the Word together and praying for one another. And uh, as, as back in August, when I was thinking about uh, proposing in my life, I reached out to my buddy Evan. I was like, how did you do this? So Evan, just to put you on the spot a little bit, when you proposed to Maddie, did you send her an Instagram message? You did not send her an Instagram message. You did not send her an email or slide into her DMs. In fact, the way that we communicate the question of will you marry me matters, right? It matters immensely. In fact, as I learned as well, with, with even your encouragement, our, not only the way that we say it, but the posture that we take matters. As in fact, many of you know, when someone usually ask someone to marry them, it's a little bit less of like flipping them a ring. How's this feel? And a little bit more of getting down on one knee. The posture matters. The way that we communicate a message is directly impacted, or the, or the, the message to someone is directly impacted by the way that it's sent. And when it came to understanding the best news that God had in the history of the world, it is directly related into how it's sent. And it didn't come as a writing in the sky, and it didn't come even as declared language, although it did, we learn in the Gospel of John that this season is not about Jesus said this, but about Jesus is this for us. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look to see the he in our story, his divinity. We're going to look to see his beauty, and we're going to look to see him personally. And the next week, we'll get into his coming, a little bit more of his incarnation. We'll get into, the week after that, his mission. And then we'll get into, after that, his coming again and his, his awaited arrival again to redeem us and reconcile all things. But today, we're invited to see Jesus and to know exactly what we need to know about God by how we see him. In fact, you will never learn anything about God more than you'll learn it by looking just at Christ himself. There's no greater revelation than who God is than in Jesus. Now, he mostly does that in his word, but he also does that as the word. Okay, so these are important things. Uh, in fact, if you were to read this text in John chapter 1 in Greek language, it would, instead of the word word, instead of the word word, W-O-R-D, it would have the, the word, the Greek word, logos, L-O-G-O-S. And logos is, is a is a really specific word in the Greek language. In fact, uh, as John was writing to an audience that largely wasn't a believing audience, they would have recognized that a logos uh, was something in their philosophical framework. Uh, In fact, it was something that was like a force that inspires and kind of motivates and binds the universe together. It wouldn't have had gender and it wouldn't have personhood and it wouldn't have had origin. It would have just been this kind of sense of, if, if you're familiar with any uh, historical philosophy, um, stuff like Aristotle's like light or what he's after in terms of meaning and things like that. And, and so what we learn here is what John is writing at very, the very beginning of John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he gives him a personhood. He says, he. And what we learn, as Tim Keller quotes, is that the meaning of life is not a principle, but it's a person. The meaning of life that we look for is not a principle. It's not a philosophical construct. It's a person. I want to look, give us two verses in Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 that'll be up on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, and he is the exact imprint 
of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Colossians 1.15 that we actually journeyed through recently, going through the book of Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the originator. He's the architect. In fact, the word arche for beginning in John chapter 1 literally means that he existed before time. And we know these things are true about Jesus. I invite you to two more scriptures. Jude chapter 1. There's really only one chapter, but I always put it in there. Chapter 1 verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And then 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul's writing to Timothy about Christ who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in himself, in Christ Jesus, before the ages began. There is a timelessness to the origin of Jesus. It didn't have a created beginning. He always is. He always was and he always is to come. I think it's important for us to recognize as we talk about the he in our story here, that he wasn't plan B. When everything happened and went awry in the Garden of Eden, it's not like God was like, okay, what are we going to do? What's going to be the way that we hold this together? Is there going to be a plan B here? He wasn't plan B or created or conjured up. The Bible's clear on this right here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that he gave us Christ before even the ages, before even sin began, Christ was given to us. He's always been a part of the story. Before any time or any creation, there always has been and will be Jesus. And this Advent season, we hope that in all things you see, from synced up lights to your radio, to awesome Christmas messages and songs, to great Christmas experience, we hope that before you see any of those things, or more than you see any of those things illuminated, you see him illuminated. In fact, our faith is not about knowing the right things or words or behaviors or songs. Our faith is about knowing Christ and in our knowing him, being known by him. The question of who is Jesus really is the most important question you can ever answer on the planet. Who is Jesus really is the most important question you can answer. It's more important than who you might marry. It's more important than what you're jobs could be. It's more important than what your family would look like. It's the most important question you can possibly answer. And it's funny to me that we land as we consider that, who is Jesus really? I I landed another quote by a guy named John Piper that talks about this. Let's bring that one up. And he says, what we want to, where we want to land at is that we become awestruck that the man at the wedding in John chapter two and the man at the well and the man on the mountain is actually the creator of the universe. I don't don't want us to just agree with that because it's a profound quote. I want us to personalize it. You've not been at a wedding that Jesus showed up at and turned water into wine that I'm aware of, right? Or you've not had the noonday moment with him at the well, or maybe a moment of transfiguration on top of a mountain, but that doesn't mean you're absent from testimonies of his faithfulness in your life. And so if you, would, if you were writing this quote about the ways Jesus, or saying this quote about the ways Jesus has shown up in your life, 
And it might not just include a historical look at the wedding at Cana or the woman at the well or the mountain of transfiguration. What it might include is the exact ways that he has shown up personally and provisionally for you and for your family. Could you write this quote and say at the end, what's awestruck and awe-inspiring is that the same God that's done this and this and this for me is the creator of the universe. And that moves us to point two. Not only that we see him in his divinity, but that we see him with affection when we see his beauty. I'm going to throw some images up on the screen here that might evoke just some like kind of awe-inspiring posture from us. So Grand Canyon here, and go to the next one. Uh, this is Denali in Alaska, uh, Denali National Park. We can go to the next one. And Crater Lake in Oregon. And then the last one is right here coming into central Kentucky. I used to get this view driving into the city of Lexington almost every morning when I lived in Lawrenceburg, I would drive into Lexington to work. I would get the sunrise over the horse farms. And, and, and listen, we could go, there's even more beautiful images than these. I don't even mean in just terms of creation. I mean, like, for those of you that are parents, you would probably say, all those are great. But the first time I saw my newborn son or daughter, that's like trumps those. Or for those of you that are married, it's like, all those are great. But the moment I saw my bride walk down the aisle, just, I don't have any pictures of those of like your perspective on your bride walking down the aisle or you holding your newborn child. So I'm going to go with the ones that God gave all of us to look at in national parks, right? And um, I say that to say when you see these images or when you see those things that are personal to you, like a bride walking down the aisle or a newborn in a delivery room, when you see those things in your eyes, does anything have to tell your mind you're supposed to have affection for this? Does anything have to tell your mind, hey, knock, 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 thick-headed guy, this is supposed to birth joy in your life? Like, no, you don't have to do that. Nobody, when, I, when, I would, when I've seen some of these images, or some, I've never stood on top of the Grand Canyon, but I'm assuming some of you had, and I would like to someday, I don't think that I'll have to convince myself to be impressed with the creative majesty of our Creator. Do you? I don't think I could stand on top of the Rockies or stand on the Rocky Mountains and be like, wow, I should really talk myself into thinking this is impressive. No one has to tell you to logically become enthralled with these kinds of views. In fact, we can't take enough pictures and they don't really do it justice. If you've ever seen someone show a picture off of something that matters to them, whether it's a person or a place, usually one of the things that accompanies, accompanies it is you can't really tell in the photo, but you ever notice that you can't really tell in the photo, but because they have an experience there when they saw it with their eyes that can't be translated even to the highest technology of our Apple contraptions or Android, Steve, for, you know, you, um, all you green box people out there, you know, yeah, I know just a little, it's okay. Green's a Christmas color. We can allow it right now. Um, no one has to tell your heart to take over when you see something that enthralling and with that much splendor or that much beauty or that much majesty. And the follow-up question to that is, do we see Jesus that way? I don't mean, do we agree that we should see Jesus that way? I mean, do you have the testimony that sees the things of Christ as breathtakingly beautiful for you? And if you don't, this is not a scolding. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to actually know grace, to actually know love, to actually know mercy, to actually know forgiveness, to actually know Jesus. It's an invitation to that. 
How have you seen him as beautiful? How have you seen his truth? How have you heard his voice? How have you been comforted by him? You want to talk about Advent devotionals this week with your family or with your friends or with your significant other or with someone in your work? Try telling someone how beautiful Jesus is to you. Like, the language won't get there all the way, but just try. Have you ever even done that with someone before? Have you ever told someone what's beautiful to you about Christ and the things of Christ? If you haven't, I would encourage you to do that, even this week, maybe even today. You don't have to quote a verse about how he was historically beautiful. You can just share a testimony about how a, a verse that's found in our text and our Bibles actually applies and births life and joy and passion and excitement and satisfaction in us because we know it's true, because we know the person. We're portrait artists. We know the person that it's about. And that brings us to our last point. Our last point, first one was to see his divinity. Second is to see his beauty. And the third is to see him personally. To see him personally. Why did Jesus come as a child? So that we might know him. Why didn't he come as like a something else? He could have come as something otherworldly. He could have come as something where maybe he was impressive to, to be viewed. In fact, 30 of his years on this earth were rather unimpressive. They were rather, uh, you know, uncelebrity. He wasn't in the center of anyone's universe or anyone's attention for 30 years. He just lived as a son, as a brother, as a friend, as a worker, as a servant, as a son of his both earthly father and his heavenly father. He came as a child, and Kurt's going to talk about this more next week, but I want to give us this in our last point today, so that we might know him personally, so that we might know his smile, so that we might know his laugh, so that we might know, and I'm channeling my inner Kurt Vernon here, what changes his facial expressions towards us, so that we might know his voice. Can you imagine that? Like, do you think Jesus, I don't know what Hebrew, I don't know what Hebrew words are hard to say as a kid. You know, some of us when we were kids maybe struggled with our W's or our S's. You know, that's not a sin, by the way. So I think Jesus would have been allowed to struggle with like some of the guttural Hebrew vocabulary words. Like, do you think he said something just a little bit off every time and Mary and Joseph giggled at the way that he said a word? Or maybe as he was sounding it out for the first time, like he literally created the language and he's learning it for the first time. Like this is such a weird understanding, you know? Um, do you think, this was, this was pre-internet, this was pre-internet days, but do you think Mary or Joseph had a story of like Jesus with a blowout diaper at some point, you know? Couldn't capture it uh, to prove the photo, but it's like, you should have been here. You know, like this was wild. Like they knew him in every way that we know each other as people. And the reality is, is that understanding and relationship with Christ is not housed in a 33-year window. It's available to us. How do I know that? Because John chapter 10 says that his sheep hear his voice. Do you know the only skill, requ skill required to hear the voice of Jesus? It's to be a sheep. That's literally it. Does it help if you might know his word? You can discern, was that my, my emotions? Was that the, a word from the Lord? Like, sure, it helps. Obviously, we want to be dedicated to that. We already know long before, long before the manger happened in Bethlehem, Psalm 1 happened, and it said that, that a man who, who meditates on the word night and day, like he rejoices 
We know this to be true. So this is important stuff. But, but the only requirement to hearing God is to be a sheep. In John chapter 10, it says that a sheep know his voice. And when they hear another voice or they experience another person, a bad guy, they run away because it's not who they know. And so the reality is the third point that we land on today is why did Jesus come as a human? Why did he put on flesh and blood? In verse 14, he, he put on flesh and dwelt among us. Why did he do that? So that we could know him personally and we could be known by him personally. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. It says, that which was from the beginning. It's the same author, First chapter of another letter, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we know him, which we have seen with our eyes, we know him, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. So let's translate that for us. We are writing these things, not just to the readers of 1 John, but to us so that we could know who John got to touch with his hands. We could know him in the exact same way. That's why he came, was to be known and to know us. And when we recognize this Jesus, His divinity, when we recognize His beauty, we recognize his personhood, guess what we get? A deep abiding hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 reminds us in the wake of loss that we grieve. We don't grieve like people without a hope. But the reality is, I don't think this is too much liberty, we could substitute almost any emotion in there for what it means to walk with Christ. We don't experience any emotion without a hope. Wallace's, um, I want to bring you back to what the Wallace's let us in. I jotted it down over there when I was sitting at the side. Without Christ, our hope is unsure. But with Christ, it's a sure thing. The best outcome that we can possibly imagine. And my mind goes to like 1 Corinthians, where, where Paul writes, he's like, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart or mind has understood all that we have for us in Christ, all that's for us in Christ, the best outcome we can possibly imagine is not a better scenario. It's more of Christ. Lisa, thanks for leading us in that word today. Families this week, talk about the hope you have in Jesus with your kids, with your spouse, with your neighbors, with your friends. You were just around tables. You'll probably be around them again and towards the end of the month as we ramp up our Advent season into the Christmas season, into holiday time and time off and time with family. Like, don't be afraid to talk about the hope, not that you cognitively understand, but the one that you know as God, as beautiful and as personal to you. Talk about the hope you have in Christ. And as we come to the table, we don't have a communion over here at our Advent table today, so it's in the back and it's right up here. As we come to the table and we take the cup, which also has a wafer, and we take and eat and we take and drink, we do so confessionally saying that we're sheep. We follow you, Jesus. We know your voice. 
We understand the grace you give us. We know you and you know us. We don't come to this table because it's the ritualistic routine at the end of the service, regardless of how you feel about the Lord. We come to this table knowing Christ and we take, eat, and remember his body and blood broken and shed for us. And we also come to this table with the expectation that Jesus himself, his life, death, and resurrection are our only sources, source of hope. So when we take, eat, and remember, and when we take, drink, and remember, we do so confessing Jesus, the one I know, the one I recognize as God, and the one I see as beautiful. You are our only hope. And what was hope as we learned in our testimony time earlier? Hope is that when Jesus comes, we can trust that in all the places he takes us, he always takes us to himself. Yes and amen. May it be so. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for uh, just the truth of your word. We thank you for being a God that doesn't inspire hope, but a God that is hope. We thank you for being a God that we can recognize as God, recognize as our creator, as our God, as our Father, as, our, as the Son, as the Holy Spirit. Lord, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for being a God that we can recognize as beautiful. We thank you for being a God that we can know personally. We pray that this Advent season, the gift of knowing you personally, um, is given to each and every one of us, maybe some for the first time. And Lord, we pray over this table. As we come, we take, eat, and remember, and honor you. Lord, thank you for being our only hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.